You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back, Real Presence Live listeners. Nick Bedelski coming to you from wonderful wintry Wasika this morning. Excited to be with you. It should be a, a, a beautiful day shaping up here. Even though it's a little cloudy out there, it still should be a, a wonderful, um, it's a beautiful Minnesota morning, as we like to say. Uh, joining me next is uh, Father Dwight Longenecker. Uh, you might be familiar with that name. You may have seen his articles, uh, seen some of his videos, uh, maybe even read his books. Uh, so uh, l- I'd like to welcome Father Dwight to the show, and uh, would you mind introducing yourself? Well, thanks for the invitation. Uh, I am the uh, pastor of Our Lady of the Rosary Church in Greenville, South Carolina, a convert to the Catholic faith from evangelical uh, Protestantism and then the Anglican Church. Fascinating. Uh, so, uh, one of the reasons we have you on today is to speak about uh, your new book coming out uh, with Sophia Institute Press, uh, and it's about uh, the uh, the Nativity. What uh, sort of inspired you to uh, to write this book? Well, a few years ago, I actually um, wrote a book about the three kings, the Magi, and so I thought I would go back and have a look at the Bethlehem Shepherds. This book is called mm-hmm. the... Uh, the Secret of the Bethlehem Shepherds. All right, all right. Uh, so, uh, it, and I re- remember that book about the the Magi a few years ago. What was it about the the Nativity in general? I guess you could say um, about the Christmas time that sort of sort of inspired you to to look into these topics and and kind of go down yeah, that road. That's a good question. You know, the Christmas story is one of the stories that is um, cluttered up, if you like, with lots of extras, lots mm. of elaborations and lots of extras, extra elements that came into the story over the centuries. And my books, and therefore, what a lot of people tend to regard the Christmas story as just a, a, a collection of fairy tales. Mm. There are lots of magical elements to the story, you know, a wizards from a faraway land who follow a magical star, appearances <laughs> of angels, and so forth. And because of these elements, a lot, a lot of other magical elements have been added to the Christmas story. You know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a fat elf who squeezes down everybody's chimneys one, one night a year, <laughs> all these other magical elements. And this has led people to think that the whole thing is one big collection of fairy tales. So I wanted to go back and look at the historical details of the birth of Jesus and link this specifically with the wise men and the shepherds so that we can understand things in more, uh, a little bit better. <clears throat> Excellent. Uh, so, why, I guess, I guess uh, maybe a, a bigger question is, why have people felt the need to sort of add things on to a, to a you know, an account that's already, you know, uh, mystical and, and full of a lot of, wonderful things to meditate on. Why do human beings feel the need to, to add these other details? Well, they're added from four, four, four different um, particular reasons. First of all, in church tradition, things are added in just as the story continued to grow. Uh, so, for instance, um, we all assume, as part of the story, that Mary rode a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 
But that detail is not actually in the Gospel account of Matthew by Matthew and Luke. Instead, it came into the story uh, from a first, uh, sorry, a second century document called the Gospel of James. And from then on, for the last 2,000 years, it's been part of the story. So, in other ways as well, uh, well-meaning preachers have included elements in the story which they found from the scriptures or from their own tradition, and they have become part of the greater story of Christmas. So, for example, in the uh, Middle Ages, St. Francis began to have make the Christmas story more real for people by setting up a crib set. Uh, and he did this with the kind of stable and animals that he assumed would be in this stable, according to medieval Europe. And that version of the nativity story is now part of our uh, Christmas story with our you know, crib sets with a little rustic stable and the figures in it and so forth. But the stable that Jesus was born in would have been very different in first century Palestine. So these um, elaborations and these changes and these developments all happened over the last 2,000 years for good reasons. Um, and then as the elaborations continued, of course, secular Christmas came along. Uh, St. Nicholas turned into Santa Claus, and Santa Claus, the whole Santa Claus story started to develop. And these things developed kind of naturally within a culture, but I wanted to cut through some of those to get back to what the history was really like. Fantastic. Uh, if you're just tuning in now, uh, Nick Medelsky here on Real Presence Live, speaking with Father Dwight Longnecker um, about uh, about his books, about the um, the uh, the nativity and, and what it would have actually been like, as opposed to a lot of the uh, the superfluous details that have been added on uh, over the last two thousand years. Uh, so, uh, speaking of that, Father, can you kind of give us a window into what Bethlehem might have been like at the time Christ was born? Yeah, we know from the Old Testament and from history and from archaeology that uh, Bethlehem in the Old Testament uh, was actually a more significant city. It was the city of David, and we know from the Old Testament that it was a walled city because there's one reference in the Old Testament where they say, we will go to the well, which is outside the city gate, and therefore if the city had a city gate, it must have had a wall. So it must have been a more significant city a thousand years before Jesus was born. But by the time Jesus is born in Bethlehem, it's just a small agricultural village made up of uh, mostly shepherd families and agricultural families. Hmm. Hmm. So, um, what, uh, what, what about the, uh, what would, uh, could you speak maybe a little bit more about what it would have been like? We know that the uh, the census called by the emperor is kind of the reason that uh, Joseph and Mary come to Bethlehem. So, are there a lot? Would there have been a lot of people who would have had to come back to Bethlehem, even though it was an in, a, a less significant city at the time? Would it have been full of a lot of people, or or what would that have been like? Yeah, one of the. Um Parts of the tradition which came into the story, which isn't actually in the Gospel, is that there were lots of people flocking to Bethlehem to register for the census, and that's why there was no room in the inn. Uh, again, this is to imagine Bethlehem like a medieval town or medieval village with, you know, a hotel and with, with a no-vacancy sign up and so forth. <laughs> that's not what it was like. Instead, you have to envision a collection of very simple, very simple homes, maybe one or two rooms, very often built into the hillside with a cave behind them. The first Bethlehem shepherds were actually cave dwellers, uh, mm. and 
we know this because the archaeological evidence goes back to uh, show us uh, caves that were dwelt, that were lived in for thousands of years in that area. Mm. And while they lived in the caves to start with, they eventually built their houses in front of the caves. Uh, and you can actually see this if you go to the Holy Land today. You can see some of the Bedouin tents that are erected in front of caves. They then used the caves as the stabling place for their animals. Mm. So... Uh, when Jesus says Jesus was born in a stable, the stable was actually probably a cave. And the cave, evidence of Jesus being born in a cave stable, uh, goes right back to the uh, first and second century, where Justin Martyr, uh, writing from the area of Judea and Samaria, says that Jesus was born in a cave. And mm. if you go to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem today, of course, they will take you down to the lower level, which is the site of the cave where Jesus was born. Hmm. Very interesting, very interesting. Um, w one thing I have always wondered is uh, uh, Joseph and Mary lived up in Nazareth, uh, but had to come all the way down to Bethlehem. Was it common at the time for people to live that far away from where their, their family of origin was? Yeah, I, I actually explore some of these speculations, some of these details in my book, um, The Secret of the Bethlehem Shepherd, which has just come out. And one of the mysteries about St. Luke's Gospel is that also not just the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but the earlier journey which um, the Blessed Virgin Mary makes from Nazareth to uh, visit her kinswoman Elizabeth in mm. Ein Karim. The village of Ein Karim is another seven miles south of uh, Bethlehem. So we're talking about a journey of nearly a hundred miles. And mm. according to St. Luke's Gospel, we would... We're, we're led to believe that this journey was undertaken by a young woman of maybe 14 or 15 years old on her own. Mm. And you scratch your head and say, did that really happen? Uh, and one of the very most interesting books I discovered in my research was a book by a scholar who has spent uh, many, many years researching the ancient pap papyrus um, documents from ancient Egypt. These documents from the ancient world have actually survived because of the dry climate in Egypt. Mm. And these documents are very ordinary documents, letters, uh, business invoices, uh, business mm. records, things like that. And one of the things that she discovered is that women in the ancient world would very often travel long distances to go and visit their relatives who were pregnant. Mm. And they would do this very often on their own or traveling in caravans. And we know from Luke's Gospel, when, uh, with the discovery of Jesus in the temple, from that story, that Mary and Joseph, with the boy Jesus, did travel in caravan to, to Jerusalem. And so uh, it's perfectly reasonable to believe that Mary did actually join one of these caravans, which was going south from Nazareth to the Bethlehem and Jerusalem area to visit her cousin. Fascinating, fascinating, and I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, that, that research process as well. Uh, we'll save that until we come back from break, if you're just tuning in right now. Uh, Nick Medelsky broadcasting from wonderful wintry Wasika this morning, speaking with Father Dwight Longnecker on the phone about his books about the Nativity, especially his newest, uh, The Secret of the Bethlehem Shepherds. Stay tuned. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network.
the very day that uh, I was appointed as bishop, uh, I came over to the studio and, and uh, had an interview with you. And, and so that was my first introduction to the Real Presence. It's been, it's been part of my life as a bishop from the very beginning. And I felt, you know, from that very, very first time that uh, we talked uh, on the air, I, I felt like I already was being introduced to the faithful of our diocese and to this whole area, which, which is a great thing because, you know, one of the, the challenges for a new bishop, an old bishop, any bishop, is to um, have contact with his people and to be a part of their lives in some way. And Real Presence Radio, from the first day, has helped me to do that. I really feel like I have a way to to reach the lives of our Catholic faithful and others as well who just happen to be listening. And, and that's a real blessing because in a diocese as large as ours, area-wise, it's, it's hard to get around to every place. And um, I traveled all the parishes as much as I can, and, and yet this is a way that I can reach people that otherwise perhaps I wouldn't be able to visit with. And they get a chance to hear what's on my mind, and, and uh, through different events that I've participated in on the air, I've heard some of their questions too, which has been a lot of fun. So it's, it really is a blessing to me. I, I feel very fortunate that this, this network is so alive and so vibrant in, in our diocese and really in this whole Northern Plains area. It's wonderful. Did you know you can listen to all your favorite local shows like Awaken and Real Presence Live on any podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Amazon Music? Just search for Real Presence Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. And don't forget to give us a good rating so others can discover the shows. Listen to your favorite RPR shows anytime, anywhere by subscribing on any podcast platform. Just search for Real Presence Radio today. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. And hello again, Real Presence Live listeners. Nick Medelsky, uh, Listener Relationship Coordinator for Real Presence Radio here in southern Minnesota. Excited to be with you uh, from Wasika. Excited to be speaking to Father Dwight Longnecker on the phone. Uh, speaking about his books about the Nativity, especially his newest, The Secret of the Bethlehem Shepherds. Uh, so, as I mentioned before at the break, Father, I'm really interested to hear uh, what the uh, what the research process for this book involved. Well, I was given I was uh, eligible for a sabbatical, um, having served in the diocese for a number of years, and so I elected to do that in Jerusalem. And I was lucky to be offered a place at the famous Ecole Biblique, which is the uh, Dominican House of Studies in Jerusalem, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually first studied. Mm. So I went there and spent two weeks in Jerusalem, and of course was able to travel over to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. And I had access to their fantastic library, which uh, was most of the research, but then I also took some field trips out to Bethlehem, and with the Bethlehem guide, was able to visit some uh, shepherds in the Bethlehem area today. Hmm. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, what What about, um, I know you had mentioned some of the, the documents in Egypt and, and different uh, accounts from from that time. Could you speak a little bit more about uh, 
for example, um, different texts you looked at and things like that? Yeah, uh, in addition to the uh, texts of St. Luke and St. Matthew's Gospel, of course, there are a huge amount of scholarship around these things, but surprisingly very little on the Bethlehem shepherds or on mm. Bethlehem itself. However, there was enough there to, for me to be able to dig through and find some very interesting details. Um, one of the details is that uh, there is a reference in the Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish uh, rules and liturgical rules and regulations, mm-hmm. uh, saying that the animals in the area between Jerusalem and Bethlehem were to be used for temple sacrifice. So therefore, we can conclude that it's very possible that the Bethlehem shepherds were not just ordinary shepherds, but that the hills around Bethlehem were actually a kind of Jewish factory farm of its day, producing lambs and animals for the sacrifice in the temple. Uh, And we know that there had to be some sort of supply like that, because Josephus, the historian from the time period, tells us that at one point there were as many as 650,000 sheep sacrificed uh, in the temple for Passover. Now, Josephus is known for exaggerating his numbers, so that needs to be taken with a grain of salt. But even so, even with a fraction of those numbers, there would have been tens of thousands of lambs and sheep, sheep needed for the sacrifice in the temple. And I, I found it interesting you mentioned that there's not a lot of um, specific research uh, focused on the shepherds themselves, and they seem like such a beloved part of the nativity account especially you know uh, we talked about how sometimes the details are fictionalized and things like that but they are there in the gospel account as well uh is there there any reason you think that they haven't really been researched in great detail well that's because they're pretty much taken for granted when you visit the holy lands you'll see that um shepherds and the and the shepherding culture is Everywhere. Uh, This is a culture which in the Middle East uh, is ubiquitous. So all across the ancient Middle East, uh, there were shepherds and there were flocks. And so the shepherds in the fields are kind of like the ordinary man, the common man, and they stand in contrast, therefore, to the, of course, the wise men, who are these exotic figures who come to us from the East. And there's not very much on the shepherds, because... Um, as I say, they're pretty much taken for granted as part of the scenery, part of the background. Hmm. Hmm. That, 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 that does make sense. Um, earlier on, we talked about uh, uh, sort of how, how Christ was actually born in, in a cave, not, you know, the nice little uh, wooden stables that we might have for our nativity sets. Um, is, uh, is that... Uh, is the idea of it as a stable, is it... Uh, but the, the cave would have been a stable, right? It, it would have been where they would have kept animals. Yeah, the caves are natural, are natural caves. Some of them were enlarged by people carving out of the soft limestone as well. But these caves also uh, were a natural place to shelter um, the animals. I came across a very interesting article, actually from the Chicago Tribune, from about 20 years ago, writing about the present-day um, cave-dwelling shepherds of the Hebron Valley. Uh, and these shepherds uh, were living in caves even 20 years ago, and you can still see them out there today, uh, living in caves and living in ha- simple houses that are built in front of the caves. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, is uh, is is there a sy- symbolic significance as well to Christ being born at, amongst the animals in the the cave stable, or is it just a, well, a fact the, of the story? Yeah. Well, these are some of the things which are added to the story later as preaching points. Okay, so preachers would um, see the significance of this uh, after the event. So there's, for instance, one of the things which is added in were the, was the story, the, the detail about the ox and the ass. Mm-hmm. The ox and the donkey are, don't feature in the stories for, in Matthew and Luke. However, there's an interesting verse in the first chapter of Isaiah where it says the ox and the ass know their, know their master, um, and this was therefore picked up as a reference in the early church to the stable of Bethlehem. And so that's how the ox and the ass come into the story. They come in through a preaching point in which preachers are seeing the sig- certain significance or symbolism and um, making the story more relevant to their hearers, and this then becomes one of the important elements of the story, even though it's not in Matthew and Luke's Gospel. So uh, how about, uh, there's another detail that uh, that that's often brought up in sermons, too, about Bethlehem being the, the house of house of bread and Christ being placed in the the manger where the animals feed and that related to the Eucharist is that something that was also brought up more as a as a preaching point is that something that was accurately reflected in history it's a it's a beautiful preaching point which actually comes from the meaning of of Bethlehem the the name Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread as you pointed out but it's interesting that in Arabic Bethlehem means house of flesh so this hmm. is an especially interesting point for Catholics, that um, Bethlehem means both house of bread and house of flesh. Hmm. And, of course, manger in French means eat, is the verb for eat, manger. Hmm. So um, you have all this beautiful linguistic symbolism. But yes, again, this isn't in Matthew and Luke's Gospel. This is These are preaching points which have been pulled out of the Gospel and pulled out of the story um, over the years. Are there any more of those, um, you know, uh, contrasts that sort of s- stand out? Maybe another example you have of one thing that's that's been added in that's uh, so so long been a part of the nativity story, I guess you could say now as it's presented, that uh, really was added as sort of something to uh, to make sermons. Yeah, one of the most important things that we have added in our present day is actually the um, idea that Mary and Joseph were homeless on Christmas night. Mm. You know, the grumpy, the story of the grumpy innkeeper and so forth. In fact, the what we know about Bethlehem at the time and what we know about uh, Middle Eastern culture and Jewish culture, we can say that almost certainly Mary and Joseph were not homeless on Christmas night. And there was no conventional inn. Instead, the word that's used, for, which is translated as inn in the English translations, is actually a word called kataluma, which means guest room. And mm. most of the Jewish homes would have been built with a simple guest room, either on the roof or as an extension to the house. And we know from Jewish culture that hospitality to tra- travelers, especially to family members, was very, very important. So mm. the idea that Joseph would have gone to Bethlehem, which was his hometown, and been homeless is unthinkable. Um, he would have gone most certainly to one of his relatives' homes, and found that the guest room was already occupied, and therefore he was asked to go to the stable 
which was just behind a kind of an annex to the house, which would have been comfortable and warm in order to give birth for Mary to give birth to the baby. Would would that have been common at the time for people to uh, spend spend the night in a stable then? Yeah, but remember the stable um, the stable cave was really kind of like just a a garage. It was the extra mm. space uh, behind the home, which would have been sheltered and would have been warm and would have been part of the family home. It was just an extra room in the home where they had some extra space. So imagine having a small home with a guest room and your relatives come to visit, but your mother-in-law and father-in-law are already in the guest room. So you say to them, look, look, look uh, we don't have any more room except we've got some room in the, in the garage. We can put up a bed down there and put a heater in there for you. Mm. That's the sort of situation it would have been. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, I'm sure with all the things we've discussed this morning, uh, people are interested in getting a hold of the book. So uh, where could they get a copy of the book? They can find it uh, from my website, which is whitelongenecker.com, or from the website of Sophia Institute Press, uh, or, of course, it's also also available online at Amazon. Fantastic. Again, the, the Secret of the Bethlehem Shepherds, uh, and also the, the Secrets of the Magi is is the first one. Is that the correct title? It's called The, Myst- the, Myst- the Mystery of the Magi. Mystery yep. of the Magi, that's what it is. Um, uh, Father, before we let you go, any final thoughts? Uh, I don't think so. Just wishing everybody a, a peaceful and happy Advent and looking forward to Christmas. Um, and make sure that while you celebrate Christmas with, Christmas with all of the magical elements, which I'm not down on, just remember that they are kind of like the decorations to the Christmas tree, but there's a tree underneath it. And that's the historical, that's the historical story which I've tried to um, lay out for people. That's a beautiful way to put that, the, de- the decorations on the Christmas tree. I like that. I really like that image, Father. Um, before we go, would you mind uh, giving our listeners your blessing? Of course not. Um, let us pray. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and with all of your loved ones this day and always. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Father, for joining us this morning. Father Dwight Longnecker and his book, uh, The Secret of the Bethlehem Shepherds. Uh, Stay tuned here on Real Presence Live. After the break, we'll be speaking with Heather King about her faith journey. Stay tuned. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.